Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm here with Rick Tivers again, one of our all-star guests, uh, my personal therapist, a leader, a coach, a consultant, you know, organizational developer. He's done so much uh, in your life, retreat facilitator. And we're talking about a, a topic that's near and dear to both of our hearts, which is evolved masculinity, right? How do you become a healthy masculine individual? Rick, welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me, Mark. It's wonderful to be here again. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And in your episodes, people always, always love them. They're always so like powerful. You got great stories and we just really work well together. Um, so on this topic of masculinity, let's just dive right into it. I'm curious, Rick, what does masculinity mean to you? What would you say a healthy masculinity is? You know, so masculinity, I'm going to use a word that for a lot of people feels like the exact opposite of masculinity, healthy vulnerability. Healthy vulnerability for me equals masculinity, where a man can take ownership of his feelings, his roles, his actions, his behaviors, and take full ownership about the man he is. So it's really about vulnerability. Uh, we can look at, you know, one thing that I don't agree with when people say this is your sensitive side, it's your woman's side. No, men are sensitive too, but we've not been given the reinforcement or the knowledge or the acceptance or permission to have that sensitive side come up. You know, oftentimes, what's wrong with you? You're, you're crying, you're a sissy, you're a faggot, whatever you want to say. And, and, it's, and it, it, it's terrible. I remember, so just full disclosure, I am an out gay male. And so I'm using that language, the language that was used against me for many years. A lot of people would say to me, oh, my God, Rick, you seem so masculine. I can't believe you're gay. And as if it's a compliment. Uh, and I used to take it as a compliment. These days, when people say, hey, Rick, I see that, that sensitive side. Or, Rick, I actually see that effeminate side. I actually feel complimented. In the past, I'd be enraged. I would not want to be seen that way. So I'm on a little bit of a rant already, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. There's a lot to pick up there. Let's start with where you started with taking ownership of yourself, right? And a man being their authentic self, whether that is somebody with feelings, somebody that has sensitivities. And something that I think is consistent, right? When I, when I think of masculinity, I think of somebody that you don't really compromise your core values or your core principles. You know, of course, if there's a loved one, you can find negotiation and make things work, but you don't really change or distort or warp yourself. Would you agree with that? I, I would agree with it. Yet those men who've been criticized, usually by a parent, have learned to play a game of giving what authority wants them to say. And that's where, where, where a lot of men lose themselves and, you know, go against their morals and values and who, who they are. So, Mark, it's a good pickup on your behalf, because I think so much of this, of course, started with our families and being criticized. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I think what's referred to, at least in my practice, I say nice guy syndrome a lot. There's a great book called No More Mr. Nice Guy by um, Robert Glover that talks about this. It's this idea of being a yes man, you know, putting on a mask, just wanting to comply with authority. Um, many times it's around women, right? I was doing like, I'll do whatever she says. I'll be whoever she wants me to be. And 
some of the guys that are in my practice, like exactly what you said, they lose who they are when they're in these types of relationships to the point where they don't even know what they believe because they have compromised themselves so many times. Well, Mark, so I've got a story already, a clinical story that I think hopefully your uh, viewers or listeners will, will, will be interested in. As you may know, 30% of my clients are therapists. And I was, uh, one of my clients who's a therapist did great work with women, but men dropped after about four or five sessions. Okay. So his retention rate with men was terrible. And he realized it was, and he took response, he realized it was his thing. So he joined one of my groups and anytime a group member, male or female would ask him to do something, he was compliant. Anytime I'd ask him to do something, he was in his mind, in my mind, too good a client, wouldn't stand up to authority, constant yes, man. So I did something that was highly manipulative and I acknowledge it. Okay. So please understand my, my work with therapists is sometimes different than the general population because my expectations are sometimes different. Anyhow, he was committed to his therapy and he was in group with me for about four years. And after about six months, there was four groups in a row. I gave him no feedback, nothing, nothing. And finally, he turns to the group and the group realizes that I'm doing this purposely. He says, oh, Rick, you must be just having a bad day. You've not given me much attention. I said, no, I know what's going on. And, I, and I'm just, I'm not really engaging with him at all. And finally, the group members are confronting him. Like, Rick, are you going to let Tivers get away with this? He, he's like mocking you. He's not, he's not even with you. He's, he's so with us. And you're like almost killed off. Because now, nah, you know, it's okay. And I, I said one thing that I said, what does this remind you of? All of a sudden, he got enraged, and he swore at me and said, you are doing exactly what my dad did. But in the past, my dad, I would say and do things I thought he wanted to hear. You don't need that from me, do you? I said, no. He did some intense anger work of years of just holding on to his father's pain, that if he didn't say and do exactly what his father would want, his father would withdraw. So when he did his anger work with me, I embraced him, the group embraced him, exactly the opposite. And so his message is you better st not stand up to authority or it could be dangerous. And so his masculinity was strong with women, yet negligent with men. Hope that makes sense. Oh, it does. And it goes back to what you're saying of it all starts in childhood. It starts around those conditioning moments because that is how we learn what it means to be a human, right? And in this case, what it means to be a man. And it sounds like with that level of just fear of his dad withdrawing, he's going to just say and do whatever it takes to keep his dad in his life, which is what, what any kid would do, right? Because exactly. they don't want to lose their parental figure. Exactly. And the way it transferred over to his male clients, his male clients didn't trust him because they couldn't feel his stance. That whatever they did or said was, was wonderful. The best And clients will see through that BS. Clients want authenticity. Even at times it could be, be painful. They crave authenticity because of how betrayed they've been and gaslit. Yeah, right? Like having someone that is solid and consistent is very trustworthy. Because even though you might not agree with them all the time, you at least know where they stand. You know where they're operating from. Yes, well stated, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I think that's what these nice guys, and again, I can say it's because I was a nice guy. It's like what I didn't get. I thought it was like, oh, for me, it was mainly on women, right? It was like, if I can just make the woman happy, if I can make my partner happy, if I can meet their every need and be who they want me to be, then I'm never going to get lost, right? I'm never going to get left. I'm never going to get abandoned or broken up with. But it was just the opposite because every time I, I contorted myself, I would, they would lose respect for me, <laughs> you know? It would, I would get minus points in their eyes because 
they're smart. They, they can see what I'm doing. And I wasn't trustworthy because I would say one thing and do another or say two contradictory things or, you know, follow through on something that I said I would never do. And it just, over time, it really atrophied my relationships. And for me, my masculinity was always such a part of confusion with me. Uh, I was a closeted gay male, married to a, a woman for 18 years. I've got three kids. And I was a terrible husband. I was not sexually active with her because I was a closeted gay male. I'm not even saying I was bisexual. I would need, quite frankly, to fantasize about men in order to have sex with a woman. Okay. So, and then when I uh, got divorced, I wanted to make sure I was seen in the gay community as a worthwhile gay man. So I was absolutely out of control for a while and developed a pretty severe sex addiction that I'm doing really well with right now because I was so confused what it means meant to be male, male, a masculine gay male, what that means. So gone through my own growth spurts with this many times over. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Like did you come to a definition or to like a set of principles that you operate from or what was that well, exploration like? My life was so compartmentalized. Like I played high school baseball and uh, I hit my sexual orientation. I thought by playing sports and, and being a jock in high school and I still play baseball. It's very near and dear to me. But when guys would talk uh, amongst each other in a sensitive way, I would almost start crying because it felt so wonderful to be able to talk to men in a very human human way. But then I was so compartmentalized, I would actually knock uh, other gay guys to, to try to fit in, which I still carry a, a sense of shame and grief about. And I never do that these days, but that's where I was back then. But for me to, to be seen as anything less than a strong masculine man would have been an, a narcissistic wound. I would have felt absolutely hurt. Mm -hmm. Right. So what I'm hearing is that that toxic masculinity, which we, we'll talk more about, was even in the gay culture, right? It, it's, it was still there and present for you. Yes, very much so. Very much so. And it's so, as I said, just a quick story. I, I play 12 inch softball and I've got three kids and my son, Justin, uh, who played on my team also, who's also my son, Justin's uh, straight. We have some, a couple straight guys in the team. He wanted to bring his father-in-law, who's an Israeli, very masculine man to watch the games. Because just so you know, dad, uh, to his father-in-law, it's a gay league. Okay. Well, so he watches our games and he goes, Rick, I, I don't understand something. All you guys are masculine. You look very athletic. I said, well, it's our division we're in. Because no, but nobody seemed gay. Yeah. And again, his mindset. So, so I said, let me take you over to another division. I took him to a lower level division, guys who are not as, as skilled and still learning the sports. Because, oh, these guys look gay. They're not as coordinated. They don't look as masculine. So this that was in his mindset, what it means to be masculine. Not even about the gay stuff, what it means to be masculine. Mm -hmm. Right. That there's some level of athleticism, right? Or strength or coordination. Then you're masculine. Then you're masculine. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting to me. Um, when I work with men and we talk about toxic, the more toxic masculine men I work with, and I work with quite a few, the more I'll talk about their fears, about why they need to come off this way. And with my toxic and masculines, I do not use clinical language. Okay. I'll say, tell me about that asshole part of you. And they enjoy talking about that part, almost as if they get off on it, very serious about it, as opposed to tell me about that part of you damages other people. They can't hear that for a while. Oh, yeah. I'm smiling because I use the same language with my guys, right? There is something when you're at toxic masculinity of feeling powerful in being an asshole, 
mm-hmm. feeling that there is some level of control that can happen and feeling like there's power over others. Um, I want to take a step back and just define sure. toxic masculinity for our listeners. Right. Um, and I'm curious your thoughts on that. My, my thoughts on it is kind of, I mean, really it's the opposite of what you said. It's a lack of vulnerability. It's this idea of like, don't be a pussy, don't be a bitch, right? Like again, kind of negative against females, but don't have feelings, don't like ever complain, um, always go forward, always do things alone, right? Like the only success comes from suffering alone, most likely, you know, asking for help is a sign of weakness. And it's this idea of really seeing not just women, but I think almost everybody else as an object, either that being like a sexual object or like an obstacle, like an enemy to fight or to kill. There's not really a lot of relationship in toxic masculinity. It's all around accomplishing the goal or being, you know, impeded by the goal, being hindered. And I want to say also that some women also have toxic masculinity, right? Toxic masculinity isn't like all these things. We're talking about gender, which is not connected to sex, not connected to sexuality. It's its own thing. And toxic masculinity can be in a workplace. Women can have it. Families can have it. Like it's more like a set of values that, you know, a lot of men inhabit. A lot of men are taught of that's what masculinity is. Yeah. And and the one area I want to talk about with toxic masculinity that's gotten a lot of uh, conflicting points of view is competition. Mm-hmm. Now, I view competition as a choice. If we choose to be competitive and it feels like a choice, I think that's great. If it's okay, I'm with a bunch of men now, I must compete to be number one top dog. That's toxic. That's destructive. Then it doesn't feel like a choice because, okay, my identity is being competitive, being the best, being seen a certain way. That's destructive. Right. So and like you said about, about, about the sense of power. Yeah. Choice. Yeah. Cause it's ruled by fear, right? People that are in that, that always have to be the top dog in the room are ruled by fear. They're ruled by, you know, when I get deeper with them, I have a handful of them in my practice as well. They say, hey, you know, if I'm not the best, people are going to leave me, right? I need to prove that I'm valuable to be the best. Or there's a level of insecurity of they don't want to be challenged, you know? Um, And there's something that's in the startup uh, world a lot, which is like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You know, like you should go into another room. Being a big fish in a small pond is actually not helpful for growth. One of the greatest things I work with CEOs on is hiring the best people that are different than them. And a good CEO can delegate, can have an ego pushed aside and really reinforce, reinforce them. Uh, a toxic CEO is going to want to do it all themselves and won't last in that role. Right. Because if they're doing well and their company expands, it becomes bigger than them. Yes. But a lot of, yeah, a lot of men really are threatened by sharing power. Do you, do you have an idea of what that might be about? I think they're terrified of being castrated, feeling powerless, feeling alone, feeling less than, feeling like a little boy, feeling like a little boy. Yet oftentimes when we get into our sports, our little boy comes up all the time, which is, I love our playful little boy. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really true. It's, it's, yeah, being dominated, I think it's something that a lot of men are very afraid of. And being subordinate and being kind of like pushed down. Um, I was doing some marital counseling um, and this woman kept on saying to her husband, you're such a child when we go out and play. And we looked at his behaviors and mm-hmm. was, yeah, I, I work my tail. I work my tail off. When I go out, I want to play with you. I want to dance with you. I want to have fun time. I don't want to think about things that are associated with work. 
Mm-hmm. And it, and she, well, it doesn't seem very adult-like. So listen to those messages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was going to talk to masculinity messages in his own relationship, right? Yeah. Of that it's not okay to have fun, that there's some level of weakness in being able to, um, like, truly surrender to a moment. That's what I think of. And I see that as actually a masculine trait, is being able to let the soldier, you know, be on leave for a minute and allow the moment to really affect you. That's really hard for a lot of men to do. My kids saw me constantly vulnerable. Uh, as I said, I'm into sports and I, I'm a huge Chicago Cub fan. That's I, I think I've had depression over the years. So um, whenever I walk into Wrigley Field, I start crying and my kids will like, will walk in and they're in the thirties now. They'll look at their watch. I'll give that two minutes. And I start crying because the, the, the memories it brings back from my childhood. Yeah. That's something that is just, I mean, just blows me away, something that I'm working on and I really get a lot from you. You know, when we ran a men's retreat last year and we're, you know, we're running one later this year, just how accessible your emotions are and your just ability to seemingly like feel them fully and then they, and then they pass, right? I mean, you, you have the moment and you're in it and then it just, you know, the storm blows by. Well, I want to talk about that after the break, Mark, because that's really significant. Um, and I'll explain why later. Yeah, I think it's a really powerful thing that that you bring um, Thank you. to to me and and to men too, because we often don't have access to emotions in that way. We just push it down, put it down, put it down, and then it comes out sideways in something like substance abuse or um, an affair or a divorce or an eating disorder, right? Like other it, those, yeah, or- they, other addictions. Like it just it comes out. Um, but you're able to, I think, like attend to it and then move on, which is pretty, pretty powerful. It's a feeling. It's real. And then it, then it, then it dissipates, right? Yeah. So we'll talk more about that after the break. Um, this has been a great discussion so far. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the other side. Thanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay-A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. 
Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. We're sitting here with Rick Tivers and we're talking about masculinity. So when we left, uh, last left off, we were talking about your ability to feel your feelings, yeah, which seems so obvious, but it's something that's very difficult for a lot of men to do. So I'm curious about what that process was like for you. And, oh, yeah. I, I used to uh, suffer from a fair amount of anxiety and full-blown panic attacks. And anybody who's had a panic attack, the, the, there's two aspects. One, the actual panic attack is terrifying. And then continuing that, the fear of having a panic attack is as terrifying. Well, what I learned my own therapy on growth work, if I give myself permission to feel the feelings, the anxiety is greatly reduced. I don't care if it's anger, sadness, vulnerability, being needful, the anxiety is greatly reduced. And I'd rather feel the feelings than have any freaking anxiety. So that, that's what it's about for me. So part of it feels really selfish because I do not want to go through anxiety again. And I haven't had a panic attack in years. Thank God. Yeah, that's awesome, right? I mean, you're taking control over that, right? And you're honoring yourself in that moment to be like, hey, this is what I actually feel. And it also, I get really triggered on a personal basis. If there's some tears, somebody will say, what's wrong with you? Uh, you're functioning. Nothing's wrong with you. Okay. It would be like somebody laughing. Hey, what's wrong with you? What's going on? No, you're, you're experiencing joy and happiness. That's great. Enjoy it. So I feel pretty strongly about that. Yeah, so I, I have a question, a little clinical supervision here, because this happens so much in my men's groups. Sure. And I imagine it happens for you. There'll be a guy, right? Who's speaking and he's saying like some horrific shit, right? He's talking about some childhood trauma. He's talking about something going on in his marriage, like stuff that's like pretty heavy, Right. And the guys in the group or me as a facilitator, like we can, we can feel it, right? We feel the heaviness, you know, I don't know if we're on full blown tears, but there's like, you can feel this palpable with the room being like, sure. whoa, like something is really happening. I go and ask the guy who's sharing, Hey, are you feeling anything as you're saying the story? And oftentimes they're like, no, not really. Right. They're just like, there's so total disconnection from that. 
Um, what do you do in that situation like that? Yeah, so I often talk about the body. Where, where in your body you're feeling this right now? Because we can compartmentalize from having headaches, stomach aches, neck tension. So I'll look at where, where it's going in the body. And then I will do whatever possible to help stimulate or trigger some sadness. So I may lower my voice. Tell me about the pain. That's tremendous pain. Not necessarily, uh, how are you feeling? Because that's, I'm good or I feel bad or nothing. Okay. So a lot of open-ended questions, but tell me about the pain. Rarely do I ask new men in therapy, tell me what you're feeling. It's actually pretty intrusive for men. Okay. What's your reaction to this? What's the impact on you? How have you dealt with that trauma? That, that had to be unbelievable. You are such a survivor. You're so resilient because a lot of these men need some very basic validation because they have not felt validated enough in their life except for work. Yeah. I think that's really, really, really good. Right. Work is where people or men in particular feel valuable and um, useful. Yes. I think, I think men do have this internal drive to feel useful, to feel like part of like a bigger, you know, group or a bigger machine or something. And yeah. they don't often get that in their personal lives. Yeah. And it, it's really amazing. Just the most basic kind of validation. Uh, six months ago, a client, a male client of mine walked in group about 15 minutes late. And I, I just gave him an observation. Oh, I see you're late. Are you okay? I really missed you. And his response, are you angry at me? Are, are you, are you going to blow me off? I said, I, I missed you. This, are you serious? I said, I, I felt sad you were late because we started the group, but I have no negative judgment toward you because he's a, a man who's used to being punished for being late and other behaviors that would impact other people instead of people talking about the relationship. When he heard I missed him, that changed everything for him. Oh, wow. Thanks. Okay. So I'm not in trouble. No, why? You know, it's your therapy. So, yeah. Yeah. The, people, Men don't communicate on that emotional level, right? Like you said, it's all on that behavioral level. It's like late, good, bad, right? Punishment, reward. There isn't so much of that interpersonal dynamic of what's it like to be late, right? What's it like to to not have me there in the beginning of the group? Yeah, exactly. You know, so many men want to know the impact, but oftentimes they've only heard the impact when they were in trouble, especially if they're recovering addicts in some way. Because then they know the trouble they've been, been through. Right. Yeah. I, as a recovering addict, right. The most of my <laughs> psychology was built around not getting in trouble, right. Getting away with things, trying to avoid pain. Well, that's the other thing, Mark, men, oftentimes by the third or fourth session, I feel emotional about this. I'll talk to my men, tell me your secrets, hmm. but, but not in an intrusive way because each man I know has secrets. I don't care if it's about affairs. I don't care if it's about homicidal thoughts I don't care if it's about porn addiction. Most men that I deal with have some kind of secrets. And I will absolutely reinforce their need to have secrets to protect themselves in a certain way. And as they open up and are vulnerable with me, I'm going to honor their secrets and their defenses. Yeah, tell me more about that. That's really fascinating to me. I think it's true. Where do men's secrets come from? What is this idea of men needing to keep secrets from themselves and from the world? Fear of being castrated fear of being exposed, fear of being humiliated. Okay, a lot of men will do anything possible to avoid being seen as victims or being too vulnerable. It's terrifying. Yeah, so that, you're back to that same thread of being castrated. Can you say more about that word and what you mean by that? Sure, a, a, a fear of being disempowered. Okay, and there's so many ways of disempowering. 
from simply raising eyebrows, like, oh, come on, really? An invalidating look to one of the strongest castration uh, terms that I hear in my practice. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And th that's not okay. To shame someone for being different or having certain emotions to shame them, not okay at all. Yeah, I, I think we just got to keep talking about this castration fear because I think it's very, very true, right? Of being, I try to think of other language for it. You know, I think a lot of it connects with abandonment, right? Not being part of the group, not being picked for the team, um, being like the low man on the totem pole, right? I think just being like really down and submissive in the dominance hierarchy, right? So many men are are deeply afraid of that and really organize their entire life around never being in that power under position. Yeah. So a lot of the work I'll do with men who have what I call false power, I'll have them go through periods where they acknowledge their powerlessness and have to deal with it with various assignments. Uh, I have one man who's absolutely terrified terrified of being abandoned by the males in his life and is scared about developing relationships. His goal, he's a straight man, is to be rejected by four males a week. So far, he's not been rejected. And so these messages that he's gotten as a childhood not being good enough are being, are being challenged. And he's seen it on his own. But unfortunately, the sense of a disempowerment starts at childhood, where, the, where we learn, I better not say or do that or I'll be in trouble. Right. Right. And, and that fear drives people's lives. You know, the word I use for it is like an anti-personality right? a personality that is around not being something or not feeling something, which I think goes back to what we're talking about with the nice guy thing is that if you're so focused on not feeling castrated, not feeling vulnerable, there's no room to actually develop your own personality and your own principles because everything is, is anti, everything is opposed to not being something or another. So I'm going to take a risk. Mark, let's look at our dynamics here right now, okay? I'm your mentor, supervisor, therapist, yada, yada. And it's supposed to be that I teach you. Yet you just taught me something really valuable. I love that that, that, that concept, the anti-personality. I, I learned something from you. So, so what we're talking about, there's a parallel here. I'm willing to be the student, to feel powerless, and to be given to by you. If my ego got in the way, it's like, okay, Mark, I don't need to know that from you. I'm the mentor here. What are you doing? And you know, it's not, that's not how we operate. But a lot of men, because of fear of being powerless, have that mindset. So thank you for that wonderful gift. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's good to bring that into the into the podcast space because, yeah, I think so many guys get really stuck in the roles either way, right? And I think it's kind of, how do I say this? It's a double-edged sword. I think men really do work well in roles and knowing where boundaries are and knowing like, like if you look at like a, a military organizational chart, like that is a very masculine in, uh, invention. Yes. And when you look at armies that have performed well, like that's a big part of it is knowing the roles, knowing teams, working as a group, knowing where like the chain of command is, right? That being said, I think guys that have that catration fear get so attached to the structure, they forget about their relationships. They forget about the other people in the squad, right? They forget about, you know, the people that they're leading. It's They're just about the rules, right? It's a structure over the people. That's where it can get toxic. Yeah, the, it, it, that, that, that is so well stated. That That's beautifully stated. Um yeah. The other thing about castration with males, then it will often present may, prevent males from having healthy 
heterosexual relationships or gay relationships because that fear of losing control is called fear of merger. If I get too close with someone, I can't withdraw. Okay, and it's a very psychoanalytic way. I'm going to get psychoanalytic for a minute. It's once my penis is inside the vagina, I can never ever get it back. Right, you can't take it out. Exactly, just, just that's terrifying for a lot of men. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, that's a fear that I, I mean, you know this, right? This is a fear that I've had in most of my relationships. Is this idea of merger? Um, this idea of if I date somebody, it'll ruin my life, right? I will just become part of their life. I won't have my own life, right? I'll just be a side character in whatever their craziness is. And I tended in the past to date high chaos individuals. So their life would take over and I would create it, right? I mean, go back to psychoanalysis, right? I would create this dynamic by being a nice guy and by not having boundaries and by trying to warp and contort myself into whoever they they thought or whoever I thought they wanted, which is even more abstract. And I would make that dream true. You know, I, I would give up my life for for a woman, right? Because even though I was afraid of merger, I was doing things to enable it. And that's where it gets, that's where I love psychoanalysis because it always gets like a little weird. Like all these like self-fulfilling prophecies are are often true, I found. You know, oftentimes we talk about uh, women being codependent and uh, where men are more independent. I see as much codependency with men that I do women. I really do. Yeah, totally. I mean, I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but there's some insane stat of as men get older, they lose so many of their friends. You know, they, they don't have communities of other guys. They don't talk to any women, any other women at all, right? Mainly they just are in work and their life becomes their wife, you know? And there's all these like things of like, you know, happy wife, happy life, or like, you know, we got to keep her happy. You know, let's, let's see what the big boss says, right? There's like all these kind of, parlances that are out there that I think are pointing to exactly what you're talking about is level of codependency that, that a man can have in a, in a relationship. I, I'm doing some couples counseling with this. Uh, the, again, I do a lot of work with attorneys uh, and attorneys see themselves for the most part. I'm generalizing. It's very rational. Uh, and this, uh, this couple is married about two years and once, and this guy has, has I got some great friends, good guys. And every other Thursday, they go out and play basketball, go out for a couple of beers, they go there for a steak dinner, whatever. And his wife said, you know, I think I'd like you to stop doing that. I'd like you to spend more time home Thursday nights. He literally burst into tears. Mm-hmm. Literally, he goes, I, I'm not ready to do that. I love these guys. They're great guys. And wh- why should, so, well, you know, I, I feel like when you're with them, you're not with me. Said, well, that's true. I need to have uh, other relationships besides you. And they've got a solid marriage, but this is what I look at the start of losing oneself mm-hmm. and it can become a power and control issue, a, a, an esteem issue and who's going to control the relationship. I do not believe anybody has a right to control anybody else. We have a right to give each other feedback, guidance, no control though. Yes. I, I agree with that completely. Yeah. You bring up another great topic is this idea of, you know, men need other men, right? We yeah. need that guys only space. Can you say a little bit about that? Like what makes that space so special? Well, yeah. So you and I both run men's groups. I have one man in my group has been there eight or nine years. And every so often I said, why are you still in group? He goes, Rick, unless you're kicking me out, why are we in the discussion? I said, well, what do you get? He goes, these are my brothers. My, 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 my brothers in my family are so dysfunctional. I get confronted by these guys. They love me. They've got my back. I've got their back. When they give me feedback, I know it's in my best interest and some of their own projections. 
men crave being seen by other men. There's a there's a difficult a different mindset that we need to be agreed with. Uh, no, as long as we're really seen, we, we can have some great disagreements, and that's healthy in male relationships. Healthy disagreements, not toxic, not shaming, not degrading. Healthy disagreements. Right. It makes you think of what you're saying before about competition, right? It's like a bunch of guys can wrestle and fight or go out there and like play paintball or something, right? And really get at each other. But then in the end, like share a beer and like slap each other on the back and have a great time. Like we bond over feeling each other's strength and kind of butting heads a little bit. As long as there is that safety that we all come back together and we know that we're a team at the end of the day. Well, one of the men from the group we talk about money a lot. He's a major partner at a law firm. He was making a couple million a year, and he wanted to make sure everybody knew that. Well, last two years, because I realized I've not brought up money one time. It's like, I realized that was a defense of mine. I don't need to do that with the guy, these guys. What a beautiful statement. Beautiful. Because yeah. that was his, I measure up, I'm good enough to be here now, in his mind. That was his way of like proving that he's he's worthy, right? That he has this like big income, this this big number, right? Like look how many points I scored. Now exactly. you, you can't get rid of me because I'm so valuable, right? I got all this all this cash. Right. And all that did to the other men is push them away a little bit. Right. Given their own sense of money, intimidation, et cetera, which we help we dealt with as a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. You know, I, I think the male only space is really important because I think men and women are very different, right? Equal, but very different. And there are ways that we talk about things, the ways we talk about emotions, you know, seeking solutions, um, some of the more shadow parts of masculinity, which I know you focus a lot on, right? You talked about, um, you know, homicidal thoughts. You talked about, you know, power and control. You talked about authority, dominance. Like these are all things that men have, you know, um, the way I put it in my groups is that like men in particular, we are the apex predators of planet Earth. And that is inside of us. And it's we need, I think, other men to really talk about those things with and share them because women don't understand that particular part of the male psyche. I think it's something that is truly masculine. Yeah, I'd like to talk about some of my experiences in men's groups afterwards, after our break. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so we'll go towards our final break here. If you're enjoying the podcast or, you know, if you're a guy listening to this or you think another guy needs to hear this, please send it over to them, right? Send it over on Apple Podcasts, send it over on, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Give us likes, give us reviews. It really does help as this project is really, you know, getting some uh, steam right now. So thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you on the other side of the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. 
This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with a replay of the show Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to our final segment here. Here with Rick Tivers talking about um, healthy evolved masculinity. And we just wrapped up our last segment talking about male-only spaces. Um, there's a writer that I love a lot. His name is Jack Donovan. And he talks about how the smallest unit of, a, of masculinity is the squad or the hunting party, right? It's a small group. It's the group of like three to six is the best way that we tend to organize um, historically and, and um, you know, in, in the world. So I just want to ask you, Rick, what is it like – in your groups, right? You run men's groups. We, we well, both do. But well, I'm curious, like, what comes up in those male-only spaces? Well, shockingly, sex a lot. And, and I, I'm actually not saying this sarcastically. Traditionally, men will talk about sex in a very adolescent kind of way. In, in my group, I really feel blessed and honored. They talk about it in a very heartfelt, guttural way. Example, there's one man who... Um, he describes himself as heterosexual, yet has had a fair amount of interactions with trans um, trans men who have who have penises still. And he's not gay, but he has a, a penis obsession, quite frankly. Okay, only with trans men. Okay, and other people they they talk about their fears, their anxieties uh, about sexuality in a beautiful, heartfelt, loving way. And at first, when we started talking about it, the guys say, "Oh my God, this feels so much different than, than locker room talk or, or um, adolescent talk," because men are afraid of their own sexuality too. 
and it doesn't get talked about from feeling impotent to the predator part of us, which you were talking about before, to the part of us that have may have thoughts that we want to get rid of. So I just want to put it out there that, it, that in, in men's groups, a good men's group, nothing is off topic. And there's a safety to, to create whatever we need to say. I think that's critical. We could do a whole episode on male sexuality, you know, because there is that. I, I think just what you're saying to kind of amplify your, your signal here, there is that fear of incompetence. And I'm saying this again, because there's a man that's listening. I want you to know that you're not alone in these feelings because we don't often talk about it. Right. But I've, you know, and I felt this way that men can feel like every time they have sex, it's like a test, you know, like, can I make my woman come? Am I going to come? Like, am I going to last long enough? Like there's all this performance anxiety that a lot of men live with. Um, and like you said, the predator aspect of having fans, having rape fantasies, right? Having fantasies of dominating women, right? Or, or other men, right? Like other people um, wanting to be violent, having these impulses to be really rough with other, with sexual partners. I think it's something that's really important to talk about, which is definitely transcending that locker room talk of like, oh, you know, got it in. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Let me, you know, how many points did I score? You know, how hot is she or how hot is he, right? Like that really removes the male's experience of what's it, what's like for you, right, when you're having sex. So I want to talk about the significance of this, Mark. One of my one of my clients shared a rape fantasy that he had. And again, it's done with tremendous honor and respect. Well, one other client in group was raped by his uncle. They did some ama amazing work that if we didn't have permission to talk about it, they both couldn't do their healing work that was necessary. Mm -hmm. So you know, oftentimes people don't, don't want to talk about the untalkable, yet it's necessary. And the more we talk about it, the less likelihood it is to get acted out. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because it moves from that, and it's back to analysis, it moves from that unconscious to the conscious place. If it's something that can be talked about, that can be, you know, looked at as an object that can be manipulated, that can be discussed, it has less power over us. It's a theme that comes up again and again in, in, in this show and in my practice. Yeah. So just one, I, I've been treating a pedophile uh, for about 12 years now. And when people know in my practice, I do, it's like, Rick, how could you do that? He has never once acted out, never once missed a session. He's able to talk about his fantasies and never been in trouble, never in a, and I, tr I trust him. And I still wouldn't trust him with kids. And he knows that. But we have that, we have that honest relationship. Right. Helps him kind of discharge those feelings. And I'm sure if you went in deeper, there'd be probably some childhood trauma. or there, There's a reason where that comes from. Yes, he was abused. He was molested as a child, of course. Right. So there's, it's not like totally predator. And that's the thing. is like the predator instinct comes from somewhere. Again, like kids are born. Everyone's born like a blank slate. So that stuff comes from often childhood trauma or from confusing messaging growing up. Yes. Yeah. So we were talking about in this. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So um, in the final segment, we like to give stuff away, you know, stuff that can be helpful um, to our listeners. So I'm curious, Rick, if there's someone listening, a guy listening that wants to move to a healthy form of masculinity, or as you're telling these stories, it's like, oh yeah, like I'm this person. What would you say to that person? Where would they start? I, I would do something very basic. Get together with one of your closer friends that you trust and be vulnerable. You know I really had this, this fight with my wife. I was really scared about so-and-so. I'm really anxious about money. I'm really terrified about not being good enough. Share something that's, that's more from the heart and not just in the head and see how that person responds. True close friends will embrace you. Mm -hmm. And then if you're not getting the response you need, talk about it. 
you know, I took this big risk with you. And your response is really, I feel sad about or whatever your truth is. Yeah, because I think that might happen, right? I mean, I think guys that are in this, I mean, that's a you know big focus of, again, the work that we do is connecting men with other emotionally intelligent or very emotionally interested guys. Yes. I think most guys are still not there, right? We want to talk about stuff and we want to talk about stats and we want to talk about the external world. We very rarely even know how to talk about ourselves. One of my closest friends who, a type A personality, a physician, we started talking about the Cubs winning the World Series. I've never seen this man get emotional. We both started bawling. And ever since that day, we're able to talk about more personal things because there it was okay because everybody else was crying about the Cubs. So there was that that internal and external permission. Yeah, no, that's I see that all the time. And I think that's about that male projection thing we were talking about is that guys can access their feelings around around sports, right. you know, a movie, um, around like a hobby or something that's happening. It's all external. But like I was saying with the client that talks in the group, when they talk about themselves, there's no feeling. Yeah, it's so it's so wild to me, and it, and it just it just shows this idea of 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 that disowning and, and denial around our own experience, and only being able to access the emotional world when it's appropriate, you know, when it's when it's in those appropriate spaces. But Mark, it's also our job as therapists and parental figures to model what that looks like. I will often say to a client that I'm attached to, I feel warm, I feel loving, I feel proud of you, and the group, well. Wow, look how Rick's responding. Yeah, he's taking a huge risk. And I feel so attached and bonded. It gives them permission. If they didn't see it from their fathers, how are they going to learn it if they don't see it from us? Right, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think some, a lot of men, right, only saw their parents get emotional or their dad get emotional when they're watching sports, you know, or when they were at a funeral or when they were at a wedding, right? When they're in these very, very controlled, almost ritual um, environments. You know, so that's what they learned. Okay, I can be sad on this day. Yeah, there's that permission. Yeah, I, I I think it's wild, and the idea is bringing that into into the world. And I think that's why a men's group. You know, my advice would be um, like a lot, but one would be to find and join a men's group because for a lot of guys, having that contained space is critical. It's the same as like going to the gym and knowing that at the gym is when I push myself and when I work out, right? Um, going to the men's group is, hey, when I'm in this room for this hour or an hour and a half, this is when I am emotional. It's when I can shift into this other way of being. I think as men, we often really thrive with clear lines, especially in the beginning. It, even, it depends on the kind of group, too. I, I did a group with CEOs. I've done a group with top management men because they need to feel that, that okay, you're going to understand what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. I've done a group with uh, emergency room physicians who feel so out of control and so scared so much of the time that the public wouldn't know it. They were able to talk about their fears, put their ego on the side about making the wrong decisions and how it would impact people and them and their fear of malpractice and things like that. A lot of that kind of work that given a safe space can be wonderful and so healing. Right. Cause they don't have anything to prove, right? They're not worried about getting humiliated or castrated. Like you say. Right. So there's um, something else I encourage guys to do is to think about what your definition of masculinity is, right? It is evolving. There are things that I think are true, but there are a lot of people out there 
it's kind of actually dying off now, but it used to be in like the, you know, 90s, 70s through 90s. There were a lot of people writing about this. And I think of, you know, Robert Bly with the book Iron John. You know, I think of um, King Warrior, Magician Lover. I think of The Way of Men by Jack Donovan, right? Uh, Ways of Superior Man. The Hazards of Being Male was a classic book too. I don't know the author. It's one of the, it was one of the first books on male masculinity and, and how dangerous it is to be a male. Yeah, I think those books are really great and they helped me a lot. And I envisioned kind of forming like in my head, a board of directors or a council of these men where they each have their own different views. I mean, their views are not all the same and developing my own masculinity by going to them. Right. So when I didn't, you know, in the beginning, when I didn't know who you were, right. Or I wasn't in therapy as much. I found mentors in a lot of these great works on masculinity. So I would recommend if a guy, if you don't have access to emotional men or you can't find a men's group or you can't find a therapist, you don't feel ready for that. There is stuff out there that you can do and just start reading and start putting your mind in this way. I want to share a 30 second story about personal experience. Uh, I, I used to have a pretty big practice and we kept on moving offices to more office space. And my father and stepmother lived about 10 minutes in the office. We had a huge open house. He never showed up. A mentor of mine, a psychiatrist, who was like a father figure to me, I'll never forget this, Mark, walks in, looks at me, goes, Rick, I got to tell you, I'm so proud of you. I love you. And I'm so jealous. Your practice is thriving more than I. Mark, I started bawling. I don't mean crying, bawling. He held me. He grabbed me. He gave me a kiss on the cheek and said, I'm so proud of you, Rick. Which, of course, I wanted to hear from my father. It felt so wonderful. So I think it's really important that we have male mentors in our life, even if they're not our parents. Yeah, I can cannot, you know, underline that enough times. And there are healthy men out there. I want to just say that to the guys. I think for me, I was very cynical. Oh, yeah. And I was just, it was my own kind of castration, right? Guys are assholes. Guys don't understand anything. We're not emotional. That's not true. There's a lot of really emotionally healthy guys out there and they love being mentors. They get a lot out of it because yes. there's nothing more meaningful to an emotionally healthy guy than to pass that down to another man. It's really, it really is meaningful. It's a gift for both people. Right. That, that's right. why when we look at 12-step programs like AA sponsors, th- that's the same thing. Right. Being able to talk to someone who's been through it and be able to shepherd in the next generation is, is really, really critical. So, can I share my information if they want to get a hold of me? Or? Yeah, it's about to transition into that. We're moving towards our clothes. So yeah, where can people okay, find you? Okay, so it's, it's Rick Tivers, my cell phone number that I answer, 847-338-1283, 847-338-1283. My email is rtivers, T-I-V-E-R-S, 470 at gmail.com, rtivers, 470 at gmail.com. My website's being redone now, so I'm not going to give the address at this point. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Reach out. He's very available, um, down to talk and to help. And we'll be running another men's retreat in November. Uh, we'll do it together. You get to see Mark and I in action. Yeah. In, in Boulder, Colorado. So yeah. Thank you so much for joining. Again, if you're a listener, I hope you got something out of this. Please share, give us five-star reviews, um, help this podcast really grow and, and get launched. And we will see you on another episode of From the Ashes next week. Take care. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.
Meet Triumph and Defeat and treat those two imposters the same.